Lord God, thank you that you are a secure rock and a secure refuge. Thank you that we can trust in you. Thank you that you are a treasure worth seeking. We pray in Jesus' name. Good to be with you today. Um, I was skipping out last Sunday. Some of you might have noticed. Um, so was Jim. Jim and Annette were skipping out too. Um, we left on the same day. They went to Uganda and had a great time there. And uh, if you've been reading the reports and praying along with them, I hope you were following and praying along. And, and if you weren't, or even if you were, go get the report from them after, after church about all, all the uh, good things that happened in Kampala while they were there. And uh, really good things with Pilgrim Center. So we were sending them out two weeks ago. And the same day I flew to, along with Janice, to uh, North Carolina for my son Justin's wedding. And uh, we sent out some links in case a few of you did watch it. And um, Dana Moore actually came along. And uh, you, you, you remember Justin being born here and you sent him off to East Africa at eight months. And uh, then he was back from college at McAllister and uh, you prayed in and showed him some things. And they're very involved with the church there and met a great woman at the church there. And uh, it was great to celebrate with their church and with family and with so many people from everywhere. It was fantastic. So um, thank you very much for your prayers for, let's see, 27 years now, um, as well as this last weekend. So uh, if you didn't, it, the, the link is on Faith, link if you, Faith Life if you want to see that. But um, anyway, and we also have a number of healings for the things that have been happening with baby Eugene and, and the Petzels and others who um, just keep praying for healing. And I was, I was enjoying dancing with the, uh, our God is healer. And uh, God continues to heal us, including me, and that's great. So let's pray before we go to the Word. Lord, we are so grateful for your Word. We're so grateful for your Spirit that is active and at work among us and through us. And God, we want to be seeing and hearing what you are doing. We want to be part of it. We want to be in it, in your flow and in your overflow. So Lord, we ask that you would now inspire us, help us to see what you are doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, the kids are dismissed, by the way, uh, to, to uh, Big House. And sorry, you got to miss out on this great sermon, but it'll be great back there, too. So, uh, and, and the preschool kids are back here, in case you didn't know that. So, uh, thanks for being with us. Fun to have the kids with us again. So, uh, 2022 is a year for... God's Overflow, I, I'm giving you the extended version. Uh, a year for God's Overflow, we have this beautiful banner to remind us. Um, a year to go and grow in God's Overflow. That was too long, so we shortened it. But I want you to remember that the whole thing was a year to go and to grow in God's Overflow. And last time I was speaking, so last week was uh, about Acts 12. We're going through the book of Acts, and, and Andrew preached that, and we saw how I, God is always the overcomer. This, this worship set was great to set us up for this, but Herod seemed like he was in charge, killing James and throwing Peter in jail, and in the end, um, Peter sprung from jail, and nobody has any idea why, except they were praying, and Herod's dead. And so whatever political opposition you see, don't worry about it. God is bigger. And uh, Herod was pretty bad, political opposition, but God is bigger than all of that. We move on to some other opposition we'll see today. We've been seeing that there's this witness. As witness happens, there's opposition. But um, so 
The Spirit overflows to a new kind of people with an appropriate new kind of church. We talked about the, the church in Antioch and how it was different and how it reached new people, how it was reaching Gentiles with a message, that, appropriate message for Gentiles, with a leadership that was appropriate for a Gentile mixed audience, with a sharing that was appropriate, even international sharing, with uh, unity between the churches. So that was an appropriate kind of church for a new kind of people. But the Spirit wasn't done when they got Antioch going well. And we talked about wanting to be a breakthrough church, but the Spirit isn't done with us being a breakthrough kind of church and being a welcoming and transforming kind of church. The Spirit has more. So the next thing we see is that the Spirit sends from this church to the nations. Not from Jerusalem, but from this new appropriate church He sends. So the power of proximity, Stevenson talks about, Brian Stevenson, and the importance of being close to people. But when you're close to people who are different, God also sets you up and the power of proximity on the periphery means you're closer to what's next. Antioch is on the edge. And they are ready to go beyond that edge into a new overflow. So the Spirit sends from this church to the nations. I want us to review some of the sending that's already been happening. We looked at this map. Um, so the Spirit was sending, um, bringing good news to Antioch from some people from, from Cyprus and Cyrene from North Africa. So they had gone here and they started preaching not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. And so in Antioch, so Antioch is up here on the map. Jerusalem's down here. So Jerusalem heard about this. They sent Barnabas up for a vision trip to say, what's going on? And Barnabas was there to encourage them and see that what was going on was what the Spirit was doing. He encouraged them. He taught them. And then he went and got Saul up in Tarsus and brought him, and they did more teaching. So Saul was brought to, to teach. And then they sent they got a word from the Lord that there was going to be a famine in the whole world. And instead of hoarding, they sent food, money with Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem. So I want you to notice that they were sending for this, encouraging this vision trip to see what was happening. They were sending for teaching. They were sending to meet physical needs. And now God's going to send them to bring good news of Jesus to those who've never heard it, just like he did in Antioch. But it's not good enough to be a place God wants to send beyond this new appropriate church, okay? You following me? If, just to look, if you look back at, at Acts 11, you remember that they were, they were sent, they preached this news, the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to see what was happening. He saw what the Lord was doing, and then they sent them down to Jerusalem. And then the last verse of chapter 12, it says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. So they went back. Barnabas didn't stay in Jerusalem. They went back to Antioch and were there in Antioch. And they took John Mark from Jerusalem, his, uh, that was Barnabas' cousin. Now, we move to this new said The Spirit sends from this church to the nations. And there's three things going to happen here. We're going to see the Spirit speaks to the church. And the Spirit also removes the blinders when they go. And the Spirit opens eyes. Sorry, I jumped ahead there. For new believers. So these are three things that are going to be happening as the Spirit is sending. He's going to speak to the church, remove blinders, and open eyes for new believers. So let's see it happen. The Spirit is sending. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch were Barnabas, we've heard of him, he's from Crete, Simeon, called the black man. So Simeon's a Jewish name, 
but he was African. Now, that may surprise you, but it shouldn't. There are Ethiopian Jews, there are Middle Eastern Jews, there are European Jews. The Jews we happen to see a lot of happen to intermarry with Europeans. So they look pretty European, but you remember Ephraim and Manasseh had an African mother. You remember that? Um, it's not unusual. I mean, of course, they weren't even thinking in racial terms. That came with colonialism. But this guy had a dark complexion, so they called him, yeah, he's the dark guy. He was African, but he was, also had a Jewish background. Um, Lucius was Cyrene. Where's Cyrene? Well, that's North Africa. So, um, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. So, also, this is stretching a lot of social boundaries. A lot of these people are poor, but here's this guy who hung out with Herod when he was a kid. He's a friend of Herod's. So, all kinds of social boundaries are also in this church. And then there's Saul. So, I want you to notice that even in the, the teachers, the prophets, the leaders of this church, there's a mix of people from all over, different social, racial, origin, where, what, what continent they were from, was all different in this church. And we get the blessing of seeing that in this church. We've got people on our elder board from Rwanda, from Haiti, from Norway, sort of through Minnesota, from Iowa even. We even have an Iowan. Um, anyway, we have people from all over, and uh, so... It's great to have that kind of leadership. But the main thing is those people all need to be listening to God. And that's what they're doing. Sorry, the Iowans really having a hard time with that. Didn't know you were... It's okay, it's okay Ken. We still accept you. Um, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now, fasting is mentioned three times in Acts. Two of them are in this text. And I want you to notice that fasting is a negative thing to remove distractions. We're doing some fasting. Those of you who have been invited into this in Lent, um, I'm doing some, some things with food, some things with uh, media and social media to try to pray. The point is not to not do something. The point is to worship and to pray. You'll see that each time it's mentioned here, they were worshiping and praying. They were, they were fasting and worshiping, fasting and praying. The point is the positive thing of hearing from God and not having other things distract us. And so fasting is mentioned three times. Prayer is everywhere in Acts. Worship is everywhere in Acts. That's the point. Fasting is a help to that, various kinds of fasting, to keep your attention focused. Um, so, the Holy Spirit said, this is one of the one, the direct quote from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So he's setting them apart. Appoint them for this special work to which I've called them. What's the work? Right. There's not a lot of specificity. It, it sounds a little like Abraham. Leave your family and go to the land. I will show you. It's not entirely clear what the work is going to be, but it's okay. Let's set them apart. So after more fasting and prayer to make sure they got the guidance right, and to make sure that they were empowered to do this, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait a second. Were they sent by the church or were they sent by the Holy Spirit? Yes. They were sent by both. And uh, different translations do this differently. This one says the men. It's not clear when it says they. They were fasting and praying. Maybe it was the church that was fasting and praying. They laid hands on them and sent them out. Maybe it was the church that laid. It could be either the church or it could be these particular men. The point is actually 
Was it the men or the church? Yes. Was it the leaders or the church? Yes. The church was fasting and praying together and they were commissioning them because when they come back from this trip, they report to the whole church what the church commissioned them to do and what they had, what they had seen God do. As it turned out, it was God who sent them and God who was working and the spirit that was working, right? So the spirit sent them. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit through the church, with the church, just like they were sent, Barnabas was sent to Antioch by the church. So when we send people out, we want the Spirit to be sending them. We want to be following the Spirit. Our strategic plan comes from prayer. We are a house of prayer for all nations. Why do we need to be a house of prayer? Because we don't know what the Spirit's doing unless we pray, unless we listen. We could come up with a great plan. All those 2020 visions that got thrown out with the pandemic, that we got to listen to the Spirit. We don't know what's happening, what God wants to do. So they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. So, Paul and, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went to the seaport of Seleucia. They sailed from the, sailed, then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So they are going first to the Jews and they're preaching the word of God. That's their assignment. That's what they're starting with, preaching the word of God. Um, let's see. I had a map in here, but I guess I removed it. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, oh, we had, we had the map earlier. Um, so just to, to keep in mind, they're, they're sailing, that last number seven there is they're sailing to Cyprus. Um, now, where, why Cyprus? It's where Barnabas is from. So Barnabas is going home. What kind of missionary are you? He's going home. You know, we have particular ideas of what missionaries are and have to be, and we've got a stereotype about it, and what makes you a missionary? Well, probably if somebody gives you money, that makes you a missionary, or, um, and we had a lot of this as I was teaching missions in East Africa, a lot of people were like, well, to be a missionary, you have to have a lot of money and probably a land cruiser and maybe some whatever. You have to be white. No, 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 no. Remember, the church in Antioch was started by Africans. Um, so the point is that they were going home. So I want you to see that this kind of pattern uh, that, that happens here is, is happening a lot. So I'm going to give you a little example. Back in uh, 45 years ago or so, there was a seminary student here who ran out of money. It was my brother, Nathan. And so then he quit seminary. And uh, then he got in, sent from here to Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle. And while he was out there being a youth pastor uh, with Bob Forseth, our former pastor here, um, Ronald Longetcha came from East Africa and said, you know, we've got this church that's never had a missionary. Well, they, of course they'd had missionaries. They had Kenyan and Ugandan missionaries. They'd never had a white missionary. Um, we want to start a Bible school. Would you come and help me start a Bible school? So Nathan went 44 years ago. He started there, and 39 years ago, he went for three years on a three-year tour um, to East Africa for three years, ended up being now 39 years, and uh, went to teach. For, well, first he went for a vision trip to see what was happening. Six months, traveled around, did some seminars, and said, you know, I think we need to do this. So they went and started Bible school to teach, to train. There were 150, well, with Burundi, 200 churches. Um, no Bible schools. So they went to teach. 
And now there are 20 Bible schools and 1,400 churches or so. And we were doing one of those Bible schools that became four or five of those Bible schools, four, four Bible schools in our corner uh, when you sent me. Um, and then Nathan came back. They, Smithtown asked him to come back and be their missions pastor. So he did that for a couple years. But then he's like, you know what? We didn't finish because the church in East Africa didn't get to the sending part. And there are all these unreached people group, Muslim and other groups in Tanzania even, that don't know about Jesus, really. So we need to go back. And so they went back and we did some perspective seminars to encourage people. There's still people that need to be reached, even though there are lots of Tanzanians, there's still language groups, tribal groups, ethnic groups that haven't been reached. And so then they asked them to send to, a, to the East African School of Missions that we started, and they started. I helped plan it, but then I went to Kenya to teach. Anyway, so now they've been teaching people in, uh, uh, from those churches. So those local churches, sometimes groups of churches, have sent people to this East African School of Missions from a bunch of denominations, and they've gone out, and now those 25 or so unreached people groups all have at least one person from that school who is there engaging with those people trying to bring the good news of Jesus to those people. So there's about 60, and about some of them are, are inspiring missions, but some are pastoring in uh, Muslim areas, but 50-some are doing missions in these unreached people groups. So you see how the, how the process goes around from us sending somebody to Smithtown for, to, to go there to, to teach to now that, that church inspiring and sending other people. You get it? And then you might remember we had an intern here who was, who was Nathan's son, Eric, and then he found a girl here, Bethany, and they went to Hawaii for a while, and they thought that was too, too uh, why not go home? So now they're back in Tanzania. Who were they sent by? Cross-Culture Community Church, which is one of the churches that we planted. And where is Eric going? Well, Eric's going home to teach. Now, Bethany is a whole new thing for her. She grew up here. But you get, you get the process of how this is a never-ending thing. And as this sending happens, we stay connected. We, we stay one church as we go back and forth, and we go to Jerusalem, we come back to Antioch, we go up to some other things, and we, so that we're not different. Of course, we're different. We're very different, but we're still together. Okay? All right. Um, and we get to send Pastor Jim off. Uh, we, we do this kind of thing. We have other people we've sent off. Um, the home grand, I, A lot of people have been sent out. And a lot of you now are working with, who are here in the pews, are also working with different ethnic groups in our city, different language groups. And um, so let me... Dan, you got to help me out. I don't know what's happening here. All right. So they went to the student. Oop. Now we're helping each other too much. All right. That always happens in our marriage. We're helping each other too much. Um, so um, okay, back up. Next verse. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island. So they go all the way across on this preaching tour until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer. Now, the Greek word is magus. Plural is magi. Um, so, quick question. What are the names of the magi in the New Testament? They aren't named. Belshazzar, Larry Moe and Curly. Nope, they're wrong. 
Um, well, the ones in Matthew aren't named. Simon is named and Elymas is named. Um, but you wouldn't know that because of the translation doesn't say they're magi. We'll get to that. Um, so he's, this person is a Jewish magus, a magi, a sorcerer, it's translated, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. All right? He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, the magus, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Paul and Barnabas said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. So if you want to apply this to here and now, ask yourself, what is keeping you or other people from paying attention to the word of God? Who or what is keeping you from trusting and believing what God is doing? What's keeping other people who don't know about Jesus from paying attention? And trust it. What are the blinders that are keeping us from noticing? Okay? There can be different kinds of blinders. All right? That keep us from seeing everything. Some people have scientific blinders, they say. And anything that can't be proven by my, my senses or some instrument of my senses isn't real. That's a blinder. I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Well, really? Um, there are other kinds of blinders. So, any blinders, and sometimes people are trying to blind because they have their own agendas, right? He has influence with this person, and he's Jewish. He should know better. But he's got his own what do you call it? Dig. His, his own gig that he doesn't want to get messed up with truth. So, what happens? What does the Spirit do? Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. It mentions that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke in tongues. No, he doesn't say he spoke in tongues, but he spoke. Some kind of prophetic utterance, some kind of word is often what happens in Luke when the Holy, someone's filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice that this is the Holy Spirit. This is not just Paul who's ticked. Okay? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looks the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil. Now, he's not saying you son of... He's, he's the play on his name, right? You're not a son of Jesus. You are a son of the devil. Full of every sort of deceit and fraud an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true waves of the Lord, the straight way of God you're trying to twist and turn? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he, took, he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. You remember from our study of Exodus that when God stretches out his hand, sometimes he stretches out and uses the back of his hand. 
to get the oppressor and the distractor and the, out of the way, right? This is the back of God's hand. You are not going to distract this person because I want to lift him up. I want to save this governor. So the judgment comes in justice to bring justice in the positive sense and help him see this. Now, um, notice that it's a, a mixture of deceit and fraud and devil's deception, right? And the truth is that we don't actually even have to know if it's devil deception or just deception, human deception. If it's deception, it's deception. If it's keeping people from trusting God, it's, it's lies, it's deception. It's keeping them from the truth. So who is a sorcerer? Now, um, this, is, this is important. Why is it important? Because this word has been mistranslated and misunderstood a lot, starting with the Latin translation, going into the European translations, and affecting the, the, um, the witch hunts in Europe, it's also been mistranslated from all those European translations into other translations around the world. And making people think that witch hunts are biblical. I'm going, to show, I'm going to show, let's figure out what the translation is first. Okay, who is a sorcerer? What is a magus? What are the, who are the magi? All right. So in Swahili, so this is part of my research. This is why I did a, a note on this in the Africa Study Bible. Because this, is, this text is used to prove that there are witches in the Bible. Are there? Well, it depends upon what a witch is. What's a sorcerer? If you look in the back of the NLT and you look, it says a sorcerer is somebody who divines things and, and may, might work with livers and other things to figure out what the gods are saying. So an amganga, it would be in Swahili, a healer or a diviner. A local neo-traditional healer or diviner, such a person publicly claims to discover hidden truths, to diagnose and to heal. Is Elimus a public figure? Yeah. Is he saying, hey, I know stuff. Yeah. Come to me, I'll help you with your problems, right? Now, in Tanzania, when you go to that person, they may say, well, actually, your problem comes from this person. They really have it out for you. The Mchawi or the witch. And that's a person whom other people say causes harm to others through secret evil means. You following me? You go to the healer, in Tanzania at least, you go to the healer. Now, I, I had a video in here and it wouldn't send in the email, but one of, one of my students who uh, showed his magic tricks, how, how he would suck stones out of people and say, no, this was put in you by that person. And uh, he showed me how he did the magic trick, the illusion that did that. Now, other people will speak to the answers, speak on behalf of the ancestors and say, it's your mother that did this to you. Okay? So, the Mganga, the diviner, is the person who you go to with your problem. He says, I'll help you. The Mchawi is the person who he blames. In Tanzania, usually an older woman, probably a widow. And I've told you this, but then what happens to her if the person doesn't get better? She might be shunned. She might be beaten. She might be fined. She might be chased out of the village. She might be killed. Um, at the time we started teaching seminars about this, there were 600 a year being killed as suspected witches, uh, usually widows, older women. Um, and then Nigerian films got us 
Tanzanians thinking about children and orphans. Um, so, and it's this not just in Africa, it's also in Papua New Guinea and, and in uh, the Amazon, other places. And I didn't think this kind of thing could happen until the pandemic came here. I thought America was different. And we don't have any accusations around here, do we? Nobody thinks that there's like secret things happening to people. You might not know how exactly, but that same accusation, mistrust, has been growing here. Um, so, so what's true according to the Bible? What's the proper translation? An Mchawi witch is a person who other people blame for harming people secretly, not a public role. Unlike Waganga, unlike the Magi, unlike Egyptian magicians, even Balaam is a public figure. Let me ask you this question. Is there a biblical example of an evil person causing harm to another person through invisible means? Even with demonic help. So Herod's evil, he chops off John the Baptist's son, his son chops off James, kills James, but that's pretty obvious how he did that, right? Through secret evil means. Can you think of somebody? With, with a demon? Now there are demons who do bad things to people. And let me tell you folks, there are still demons. There are still demons doing bad things to people. But people who have demons are victims. They're not villains. And we need to care for them and, and release them and heal them, not blame them. So, um, so there's this pattern. The greatest diviners who guide the king from the gods are powerless and blind compared to Yahweh. So you remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh and Joseph. Pharaoh had this dream, and his, his diviners couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. Joseph came in and said, this is the deal. God told me. God could tell him. The other pharaoh had these magicians who told him, oh, never mind, and they did some tricks, and he said, oh, I don't have to listen to Moses. But did they make Moses sick? No. But they were so sick, they had to run away, and they couldn't show up in front of the king because they had all these boils on them. Remember that? Godly people can speak God's judgment and cause harm because God is the one who gave you health. God can take it away. God is the one who gave sight to Elymas so he can take it back. But Satan never gave anybody sight. Satan can afflict people, but nobody can command demons to do things. Now, demons get this, they get double time if they can convince you that somebody else did this to you when they did it to you. Now they increase all this mistrust. Not only do you have a COVID sickness, you're also suspecting and hating everybody else and accusing them of things, right? So here are the word magi or magus is applied in the Septuagint, the Greek translation to Daniel and his colleagues. It's applied to those who come to worship Jesus from Babylon. Remember them? Who are called the magi. Why don't we call them sorcerers? I've never figured it out. We call Elymas a sorcerer, but we don't call them sorcerers. We should say the sorcerers come to worship Jesus. Because it was shocking that they came to worship Jesus. Simon is also a magus. And you remember, so Simon's a Samaritan. He's halfway in between. And he converts, but actually wants to make money off of it. He's kind of in between. Elymas is a Jew. He's on the inside, and yet he is totally against this. But it's surprising that the Babylonian pagan... Magicians, 
that's where we, we get the word magician from, magi. They come to worship Jesus. The Jewish is trying to prevent people from worshiping Jesus. Another word that's sometimes mistranslated, pharmakeia is in those other places. You, are you following me? So what are the names of the magi in the New Testament? Elymas, Simon, and the Matthew ones we don't know. You following me? Um, but our translations confuse us. And they confused us when we did the King James translation, because at the time that the King James translation happened, they were killing a lot of witches. People suspected of being witches. And so they put in witch and sorcerer every time they could. Um, so, so is it spiritual warfare or social warfare? Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not with people. So finding a witch will not help you. If it's a demon, battle the demon. So this is a, uh, I had a lot to learn. So I, I, when I was in Tanzania, my, my uh, colleagues, I was, we were, they were telling all kinds of stories of casting out demons. I said, yeah, I've written several papers on in seminary. I'm really interested, but I've never cast out a demon. They're like, what? You're a missionary in Africa. You've never cast out a demon? I said, well, pray for me. So they prayed for me, and, and Grace came along. We had a long time. I got to apply all the things I had in my... And Grace was delivered from not only the sickness that the demon was causing, but from the demons and from the psychological illnesses that were related to that. And, but that was a spiritual warfare. But when you start accusing people, it becomes social warfare. You follow me? That's a different thing. And I see it happen here, too. People start talking spiritual warfare, and soon they're talking about those people. That person. I just felt this evil presence when they were... No, 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 no. This is about demons. Deal with the demons. Yes, they're real, so deal with them. But help the person if they're afflicted with demons. Are you following me? Okay. Is this true? No. This is not true. It's not an arm wrestling match. There is no God but Jesus. Satan is not a God. He's a demon. He was an angel. He's a creation of God. Like me fighting with my pen. Ooh, who's going to win? What? He created Satan. It's not a match. It's not spiritual warfare like we think of warfare, or like we have our, our you know, football games. It's a totally uneven match between the creator and a creation. So what's true in the Bible? That's some summary here. From, I'm going to take the whole scripture, all right? Related to sickness, related to accusations. God alone has the power to give life, healing, blessing, success, and revelation of the future. Therefore, ultimately, only he has the power of curse, sickness, and death. So don't worry about somebody you think might be doing something to you. God's got that power. Pray. The Bible warns against diviners not because they can harm Christians, but because they lie and thus turn people from the giver of life and blessing. Paul is not afraid of Elymas. He's just in the way. So he gets him out of the way. The Spirit gets him out of the way. Paul's not afraid of Elymas. Although societies around Israel feared witches, diviners, and curses, whenever such people are mentioned, 
they are shown to be powerless compared to the Creator. The biggest, most powerful Elamists and Balaam and all these people show up and it, they're made laughingstocks in Scripture. They got nothing. Therefore, go only to God through Jesus for insight, or healing, not to other sources such as diviners or even pastors who listen to ancestors or spirits and accuse witches. Just because they put a collar on, if they act like an Mganga, they're still an Mganga. If they're still accusing witches, I wouldn't go there. You may use modern medicine or herbs to treat while depending on Jesus alone to heal. This is one of our distractions. We can be depending on modern medicine instead of Jesus. It's okay to be treated by modern medicine or herbs or some other thing you particularly like. But Jesus is the only healer. Okay? Here's what happens sometimes. Some of us were raised in a materialistic world where it was all about science and anything else was nothing. Right? And then we realize, wait a second. There's a whole other world I knew nothing about. And we swing over to becoming animists. And there's, there's spirits infecting everything. And, and uh, I remember as a kid, people casting coal demons out of Kleenex boxes and all kinds of stuff. I had bad dreams about bats or whatever. Listen, people. Just because we're not materialists doesn't mean we have to become magicians. The classic spiritual warfare C.S. Lewis quote is, Satan is happy to have people ignore him or be overly fascinated with him. Either one works fine for him. A materialist or magician is all the same to him. If you think he doesn't exist, great. He's got free reign. If you are scared to death of him, he's got free reign. If he can add that you can start accusing other people, well, that's, wow, super gravy. You following me? Now, we're in this church all from different places, all right? Some of you are from places where, where witches and accusations like this, you're like, oh, yeah, I know what that's about. Voodoo? Sure, I know what that's about. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Let's talk some more. Uh, this is just introduction. <laughs> so um, so the, uh, the conclusion of this, though, is that spirit opens eyes. The spirit opens the eyes, and there's a new believer in Jesus. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. So, folks, we... We don't have to be afraid of this because God is powerful. And our teaching comes with power because it's from the Spirit. He is the healer. He is the powerful one. He is able to do all of this. We do not need to be afraid. You hear me? You don't need to be afraid of Putin, of nuclear war of the pandemic, of masks, of the governor, of anything. Jesus is more powerful. And if you start focusing on, I'm going to glorify Jesus, and there will probably be some suffering and hard things along the way, and there's probably going to be some opposition, but Jesus will deal with that. And maybe I'll die. That'd be great. I get to go to heaven. So, um, last time... I, I thought uh, Pastor Andrew did a good job. But Peter was not afraid, partially because Peter, Jesus had already told him the death by which he would glorify God. So he's like, I'm going to glorify God one way or the other. Maybe it's death this time. 
So let's, let's be sent. So how will the Spirit continue to send to the nations through Bethel Christian Fellowship? We've had this great chance to welcome people from the nations. We've had a great chance to send people to the nations. You guys got to send me for 21 years to East Africa. We just got to send Jim and Annette to, to uh, Uganda. We just got, we, we, we have people that we're supporting regularly, supporting and helping some of you as you're reaching the nations in our city. God's got more stuff. And I think some of you who speak two languages and are in between here, you, you might just be the people God's really going to help us with. So, I don't know. What's the Spirit saying? Who shall we send? To whom? To do what? How? And I'm excited about all the people we are already supporting and connected with. And talk to Sharon if you want to get with them and pray over the people that we're connected with um, and, and supporting regularly and others. Where may the Spirit need to remove blinders? That's kind of hard to know because we're blind, right? Maybe you need somebody else to say, hey, you got a blind spot there. Maybe somebody from a different culture could help you realize, you know, I need my African brothers to tell me some stuff about some blinders I had about dealing with demons. And I needed to listen a lot and try to learn what was happening and then say, well, how is that scripturally as far as witches? And we've been helping each other with a lot of this stuff. Who and who are the people that might need their blinders removed? And who will the Spirit open eyes to believe in Jesus? I'm excited to see who that's going to be. I don't know. Maybe it's you. Maybe you have been wondering and not quite sure. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, Jesus, but I don't know about this other stuff. And what about that? And maybe Jesus, maybe this is the day. Or maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your relative. Maybe it's your friend. But I'm looking forward to who it's going to be this year. And I hope you're praying into those people who you want to see changed. Or praying into how you want to see yourself changed. Worship and prayer. That's where this started, right? They were worshiping, they were praying. So let's have the worship team come up. They're worshiping the praying, and the Spirit said, hey, this is what we're doing next. So this is a year, uh, a year to go and grow in God's overflow. I don't know where God's going to send you, but we are a house of prayer for all nations. We're a place where strangers become friends, where friends become family, and family become sent ones. They're still family. What's God going to do through us this year?